What's going on, family? We are back for another episode of the regular podcast on the regular network. It's real. What's his name again? Kilo? Shout out my name, Kilo, man. Kilo in the mother building. We're back. Again, it's, it's, it's felt like it's been a while since I put out an episode for you guys, but I'm back, you know. I won't take up too much of your time, hopefully, but I do plan on getting into some science-y type of stuff. So, you know, grab your notebook, pen, pencil, all that. You want to do some research later on with me. Um, make sure you subscribe to the channel. I appreciate y'all's support. Make sure you hit the notification bell right next to the subscribe button so you can be notified anytime we release new content on the network. Make sure you follow us at The Regular Network on Instagram. Tap in with the Reddit page, the regular topics. And, um, you know, let, let, let's keep this thing going. How y'all been this week? I've been cool. There, there's been a lot of stuff going on in my world. I don't know how busy everybody else has been, but I've been super busy. You know, I normally don't, excuse me. I normally haven't been doing a whole lot of personal updates on the podcast like I used to do when I was just audio only. But I, I really do need to get back into it. I will tell y'all, I set up a, a pretty um, a pretty precocious goal for myself. I'm studying to get my Security Plus certification, CompTIA Security Plus certification, and it's really just to enhance my salary a little bit. You know, I'm not guaranteed to get more money if I stay at my job, but I'm pretty sure if I go get that certification, I can get more money out there in the field. So. I'm working on getting that right now. I just started studying last week. I bought a book, you know, and I set this 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 hardcore goal for myself that I want to knock out one chapter of this book every single day, right? So right now I'm seven days in. I'm still on pace. I've been knocking it out. I've been reading the book, retaining all the information. These have been some heavy chapters. I'm not going to lie. These last few days, they've been almost taking me out the game. But as a person that... You know, my preference has always been to read textbooks and reference books, reference guides, dictionaries, encyclopedias, stuff like that. I've never been good when it comes to reading like novels and people's stories and fiction books. I've never been good with that. I struggle to read those books. They they can't really keep my attention like that. But when I'm in a in a textbook or in a reference guide or anything like that, I'm like super locked in. So anyway, I've been able to read this, you know, retain it. And then after I do a chapter a day, then I'm giving myself seven days to go back, review, study, practice with the information. And then after that, I plan on taking a test, the certification exam, right? So I plan on having, right now, today is January 19th. I hope to have my uh, certification by March 1st. So that's like a pretty good goal. I told uh, somebody I work with the goal and he he acted like I was kind of crazy a little bit. I don't know. I haven't taken a formal exam. Well, I took a formal exam a couple months ago. I did terrible because I didn't really, I didn't feel like the training was sufficient, but it wasn't self-paced. I'm you, I, I love, I prefer self-paced learning. I could teach myself better, I feel, than other people can. And the course I was in more so taught for the job and not really for the test. So and that's fine. I can't knock their program. Good for them. Shout out to them. But uh, I am studying for that. We're going to see, you know, if I if 
I feel like I'm learning all the information, but I will never really know until, you know, it's time to take that test. So, man, I'm just knocking them out a day at a time, man, chapter a day. You know how it go. And, um, you know, y'all send me some positive energy, right? Send me some positive energy. I don't, I don't know if y'all just saw this situation. A situation just happened where this just happened like, a, like a, two hours before I got on here start recording. Young Thug is, is sitting in court. He's in a hearing for whatever reason. And a guy who they say is a co-defendant walks out of the, you know, the court has like a little audience area, walks out of that area, walks up to Thug at his table with his lawyers and hands Young Thug a Percocet pill, allegedly. Hands him a pill. Shake, like he does, dap him up, hand him the pill, and they both just stand it. Well, Thug is sitting down, dude is just standing there. There's a couple of police around him, but then the police officer immediately tells Young Thug, Jeffrey Williams, to give him the pill. Young Thug gives it to him immediately, and then they just arrest the dude. Uh, y'all are going to see this. Y'all going to hear about this probably for the next couple of days. The video looks absolutely crazy. I'm going to be real with you. I don't think that that man was actually trying to hang Young Thug anything. I think, I mean, he did hand him something, but I don't think that was the purpose of him doing what he did. I think he was trying to guarantee, like he 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 needed a new charge. He needed to get locked up or he needed to get moved to a new place. He went and purposely committed a crime in front of everybody in the courtroom. This wasn't a situation where this man was sneaking around trying to hand, trying to get something to Young Thug. He wasn't sneaking at all. Everybody was paying attention. There was police in the courtroom, lawyers, people in the stands, news reporters, everybody. They're all watching this man walk. He's not being inconspicuous at all. It's looking like he is looking for legal action to be criminal legal action to be taken against him. I don't know if he's trying to get put in the hole. Uh, and then after they grabbed him, then he went and swallowed something and then they took him to the hospital. So they took him to Grady Medical Center, right? Or Grady Trauma Unit or whatever it is. They took him to the hospital. So to me, that made me feel like dude was really, he he needed to get moved. So I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know what type of plan they got going on. This is really some Ocean's Eleven types going on right now. And um, but you know, more power to him. I don't, I don't, you know, I can't say what's going on. These dudes are sitting back. They see how bad everything is about to look when they go to trial, and I think they are just trying stuff right now. I can't say what they're trying. I have no idea. But they are definitely plotting and planning. And, and speaking of this Ocean's Eleven stuff, yo, I'm watching a show called Kaleidoscope right now. It's a Netflix show. It's about a heist, as they call it, like a, a vault robbery, where a team of, of super criminals is trying to break into this vault and steal a bunch of you know billions of dollars worth of stuff. But it's a sh the unique part about this show, because we've seen a million shows or movies like that. The unique part about it is Netflix has decided to not put the shows or the episodes in sequential chronological order, right? Also, the show is not to be watched in the same order by every single viewer. Meaning, if you and I both have a Netflix account and we both decide to turn on Kaleidoscope, at any given time or at the same exact time, we both start watching it on our respective accounts. We will see the episodes in a different order than one another, right? So I might turn the show on and I watch, they don't have the episodes numbered either. The episode titles are colors. So I might turn it on 
and the show that the episode I see first is orange. You might turn it on the episodes you see first is blue. Now, that seems basic. That seems like, why? What's the point of that? I don't know what their point is, but the reason I think it's cool is because I think that gives a completely different watching experience. And, you know, a lot of times when we watch shows, we want to discuss it with our friends and talk about what we've seen so far, or I'm up to this point. Let's discuss what we saw so far. But with a show like this, you can't do it. If you, let's say you go watch five of the eight or nine episodes that they made, right? If you do that, and then if I watch five and you watch five, if we try to go talk to each other about the five we saw, we would be spoiling the show for the other person because you haven't seen what I've seen and I haven't seen what you've seen. So it's a very interesting, like social interactive type of thing. A lot of us love to discuss the shows that we're watching with the people that we, we're sitting around talking to. So uh, also shout out to Robert Townsend. He directed two of the episodes. So I think, I think it's good. I see his name pop up in credits of shows randomly throughout you know, the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I'm glad he's still out here working. The episodes that he directed are fire. The whole show to me is shot amazing. And I love the whole, you know, sequencing of it, even though they didn't choose one sequence for it. I love how the show is set up. I think I got one episode left, but you know, I want y'all check that out. Y'all let me know what y'all think about Kaleidoscope on Netflix. I, I did want to get into some other breaking news that just came out today. Give me a second here to pull it up. Y'all see my new transition I just made? Alec Baldwin to be charged with involuntary manslaughter in Rust movie set shooting. Now, first of all, let's go backwards a little bit. This shooting happened in 2021. It's January 2023, and he is just now being charged with involuntary manslaughter. They took a year and a half to charge him like they're about to charge him with second-degree murder or something like that. For involuntary manslaughter, that means you didn't mean to do it. It wasn't intentional. You didn't have any malice intent, anything like that. They could have charged him with that immediately. They knew that already. What investigation did they think they were going to do where they were going to find out that Alec Baldwin had any other intentions? They could have been charged him with that. So... That's for that's strike one with this whole thing. Okay. I really like that transition. Let's read some of this thing here. Alec Baldwin will be criminally charged with New Mexico uh, by New Mexico prosecutors for the 2021 fatal shooting of cinematographer um, Helena Hutchins on the set of the film Rust. Baldwin and a dozens of films. Let me see. Let me see. Baldwin said he didn't pull the trigger. An FBI forensic report obtained by ABC News uncovered that despite Baldwin's denial, the gun could not have gone off without the trigger being pulled. Baldwin and the movie's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, each will be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. One of the involuntary manslaughter counts, uh, sorry, one of the involuntary manslaughter counts is one of which Prosecutors will have to prove there is underlying negligence. There's a fourth degree. That is a fourth degree felony. Carries a sentence of up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine. The second involuntary manslaughter charge is one for the commission of a lawful act. A more severe charge. I'm assuming they meant unlawful act. I'm confused. 
charged for the commission of a lawful act. I'm not sure what, what that's supposed to mean. A more severe charge with, which requires proof that there was more than simple negligence involved in a death, prosecutor said. This charge includes a firearm enhancement, which adds a mandatory penalty of five years in jail. Baldwin and Gutierrez will be charged under the standard called charged in the alternative. If the case ends up going to trial, a jury will determine which of the two charges they're guilty of. Now, let, let's discuss this real quick. Because first of all, they, these are low-level felonies. Like you're talking about an involuntary manslaughter situation, right? Where you can do up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine. Up to. The assistant director on the movie, uh, David Halls, he already signed a plea deal in this. He got charged with negligence use of a deadly firearm and of a deadly weapon. He got a suspended sentence and six months of probation. We're talking about somebody died here. And we're we talking about somebody on that movie set did something extremely illegal. First of all, why wouldn't everybody involved be charged when there isn't a situation where there should have been live ammunition on a movie set like that? Right? I don't see how there was supposed to be a blank uh, round put in this firearm. There turned out to be live ammunition, and it's even a question of how to charge anybody, right? So just so it just so happened that on the day when somebody put live ammunition in a weapon, you just so happened to point the gun at the director, at the cinematography director, and you just so happened to pull the trigger with live ammunition in it when the tape wasn't even rolling. I don't even think they were rolling. I think it was like behind the scenes type of situation. Pointing it directly at the director. How was, how how are they arguing for anything other than? I don't know. I mean, it should be more than a than an eighteen month max sentence. I don't I don't even know how they even came to this term. And then this whole charged in the alternative thing. We already know that the jury is going to pick the lesser of the charges because. One of them says that the jury has to prove that there was more than simple negligence involved in the death. How could they prove if everybody is pointing, saying it wasn't me and I don't know what happened? How can they prove anything? Everybody is, is giving no information, right? So you can essentially you can kill some, and it doesn't mean that you meant to kill somebody, right? Just because you didn't mean to kill somebody does not mean you're not guilty. It doesn't mean you're innocent of it. You still kill somebody. If I say I accidentally went and did something, I guarantee you I wouldn't be charged with a, with a crime that only carries 18 months in jail. I can guarantee it. Here's the thing. One of those charges, the, the first involuntary manslaughter charge, doesn't even have a firearm enhancement on it. So there's no mandatory minimum jail time. How is it possible that in a shooting death, there would be crime there would be charges that don't even involve the firearm at all how's that po like tell me somebody one of y'all lawyers out there y'all please explain to me how it's possible and this is how a lot of people when we talk about when we talk about disparities in justice and a justice system between white people and black people in this country it it is mostly at the level of being charged we get some of the sentences that we get because we get overcharged not only do we get overcharged, then we get penalized later 
for going to trial and trying to defend ourselves. This is something that, that, that I'm sure we'll have a class action lawsuit 50 years from now, or there'll be some, oh, sorry, guys, and they'll try to give us a holiday, national uh, get black man out of prison uh, holiday. But we are the only ones who get penalized for attempting to defend ourselves at a trial. To black people, we understand. We all, As black people, we all know that. That's just like a common knowledge thing. But if you tell somebody else that, like somebody that's not from our community, they'll argue with you. They'll tell you that's crazy. Use your constitutional right, due process. You're supposed to get a trial, jury of your peers, all that type of stuff. That's what they, they won't even understand the idea that black people going to trial means that the, the judge in the courtroom takes it as an insult that you would attempt to defend yourself. And now they're going to give you more time than they would have given you had you taken a plea deal. They're attempting, if you go to trial, they're attempting to give you max time if you're a black person. Nobody else would even understand that. But we already get overcharged. So that means that the time that we're looking at, if we do go to trial, is much higher than anybody else, right? So Alec Baldwin being charged like this after they took a year and a half to charge him with something that only carries 18 months in jail. And it's not even mandatory. So now, even if he's convicted of this, they probably will suspend his whole sentence. At the worst, he'll get 18 months. Think about that. You can kill somebody at the worst, you get 18 months and still be rich with a $5,000 fine. Let's think about it. Improperly charging police officers and improperly charging white criminals is why there's such a disparity. Because it's not like, we, we all know that there's plenty of white people committing crimes. But for some reason, they don't, they don't, they're not represented in the jails and prisons at the rate that we know they're committing crimes. The reason is because of how they're charged. Somebody died, you got a fourth degree felony charge. Okay. That's all I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to leave that alone, man. Y'all let me know how y'all feel about Alec Baldwin getting charged like this. And I'm not saying it in a way to say I'm not sympathetic to the situation. You know what I mean? Rest in peace to the victim. I don't know if dude was trying to shoot her or not. The problem is we know plenty of people who accidentally shot somebody because a gun went off for whatever reason and they were charged more harshly than this. If I know this is a different state. But if Plaxico Burris can shoot himself accidentally and do two years in jail for it, in prison for it, you accidentally killing somebody when there shouldn't even have been live ammunition around, I mean, somebody got to tell me how 18 months is the max penalty. Okay, I'm done with that, man. Let's, let's, let's move on to uh, lighter news and, and more positive news, okay? Now... Where we at with this thing? Let's see. Let's move on. Breaking news. Tennessee State University announces plans for historic $250 million funding package from the state of Tennessee. This is, this is major. This is major. This report is from the Tennessee Tribune. Let me see. Let me see. Up the Tennessee Tribune. This is major, people. This, uh, let's see. On the day the nation celebrated the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Tennessee State University shared its plans for the historic $250 million from the state of Tennessee. It's the largest one-time investment to a historically black university by a state. The funds come at a critical time as states across the nation are being held accountable even more for underfunding HBCUs. 
The funds are for capital improvement projects only as outlined by the state. University officials say long overdue repairs and upgrades are now on the way, citing many of the campus structures have gone without repair for decades. Tennessee State University President Glenda Glover says the much-needed funding will cover expenses for upgrades to several academic and student services buildings, in addition to the electrical and HVAC systems. We are excited to share with you our plans for using this historic funding that will assist with TSU's continue, continued growth uh, and campus development as we provide students with the best academic environment possible. Glover adds, this will allow us to enhance our campus for further sustainability as we continue our service to our students. A total of six structures will see improvements. Some of these renovations began in fall 2022, but students should expect continuous upgrades to the following buildings. Boswell Science Complex, Davis Humanities, Elliott Hall, Jackson, Harold Love Sr., and the McCord and McCord first as universities say is the best to begin with buildings. Okay, I have no idea what that's talking about. Okay, now, let's, let's discuss it real quick. Tennessee State is talking about using $250 million to renovate six buildings. I'm not gonna lie to you, when I first heard that, that, that those numbers, I was like, is that right? Like, is it, are they building, they about to build, Six forty million. It doesn't even sound like they're building new buildings. They're about to renovate. It's gonna cost forty million dollars per building. That sounds high to me. I'm not gonna lie to you. That sounds high. But it's been a long time since I have been in the. Y'all know I had an architect internship back in the day. I told you about that. It's been a long time since I've been in that in that world. Also, I work at uh, in the HVAC industry, and um. I, I didn't realize prices were up this much in construction, commercial construction, but you know what, what hit me? They're on point and they're actually working with a, with a tight budget. $250 million, I know it's like, oh, it's an HBCU, they should be happy. They should be happy. It's still underfunded. I think somebody said that the state actually owed them like $600 million and they, they settled for $250 million or something like that. It's, it's a disparity like that. Like it, it was hundreds of millions more that they owed them, but you know, they can't, they settled for around 250, which is still good. But I, I just wanted, I just want to put it in perspective real quick, right? That 250 million as a total for capital, uh, capital improvements, capital expenditure improvements. I think that was the wording they used. What was the wording they used? Let me see here. Capital improvement projects, right? Let me put it into perspective for you real quick. Now, of course, these schools are not on the same level, but I just want to give you the sheer scale of difference between big PWIs and our HBCU institutions. Let me read this to you real quick here. According to the November 15th, uh, uh, Excuse me. Meeting agenda for the Board of Trustees Master Planning and Facilities Committee, Ohio State spent more than $912 million in fiscal year 2022 on its projects, including construction and design. Most of Ohio State's 13 major projects, projects with budgets of more than $20 million, remain within the projected timeframes and budget. 
Construction on Ohio State's combined heat and power plant is on track to miss its December 2023 deadline, and project expenses are likely to exceed its $289 million budget. Okay, did you hear what I said? They have one building, and that building is a com- is a heat and power plant facility. So it's not even it's not it's not it's not a of course heat and power plants you want it to be state of the art. Their one building cost them more. It's costing them more at Ohio State than the entire budget that Tennessee State is working with to renovate six whole buildings. Just think about this. Both of these are state institutions. Tennessee State is being paid for a century of underfunding and lack of funding by the state. So we're talking about 100 years of funding disparity. They are making it up by giving Tennessee State some money that couldn't even buy a power plant for Ohio State. Ohio State is about to go over their $289 million budget. Tennessee State couldn't even pay for that building alone with that money. So even after Tennessee State pays for all these facilities to get renovated, I'm sure they will make them look as good as possible. They will still lack other major institutions. And the reason I bring it up is because that also leads to having a hard time recruiting when, a, when, when kids, and it's not just athletes, schools in general are doing their best to recruit new talent academically and socially and athletically. Because recruiting is for everything. You, you need students there and you need high quality students at your school. So if I'm, you know, if I'm a student, if I'm a 12th grader, valedictorian at my school in West Virginia, and I'm like, hey, I want to visit a couple schools to see where I want to go. I'm going to visit Tennessee State. I'm going to visit Ohio State. When I, when I see the difference between the campuses, it will almost not make any sense for me to choose Tennessee State. And that's how a lot of people end up not going to HBCUs is because when they go to the campus and then they go to another school, even a school not as big as Ohio State, if you go from Tennessee State to Georgia State, there's a vast difference in facilities and access to resources. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'll, you know, we want to send positive energy to Tennessee State. I really hope that they can get that, um, get as much work done as they can out of that 250 million, you know, you know, we got to start somewhere and I'm not mad. You know, it's a, it's an amazing thing to get 250, but they are still severely underpaid and Tennessee didn't even give them all the money they owe them. Right. So, you know, let's, let's send our energy. I hope they're able to use black contractors, you know, call up HJ Russell construction company out of Atlanta but they're a national company, but they're out of Atlanta. You know, Don Peoples and them, Cheryl McKissick on the, excuse me, architecture side, you know, call up some black contractors, get some of this work done. You know, that's a nice, those are nice contracts right there. $40 million contracts can really change a business. Um, the companies I just named, you know, they're up there. They, they mess with billion dollar contracts, but this, this is still good to add to your portfolio. So hopefully, Whatever companies end up getting these contracts, hopefully they do the best work possible. And um, shout out to Tennessee State. Now, I hope y'all ready for us to get in our in our woke bag because that's 
that's what we're here to do. I, I did want to talk to y'all about something that I've discussed before on a regular podcast a couple of years ago, but now I'm going to show you to the new people that are watching. I'm, I'm going to give some graphical representation of it. Excuse me. We're going to talk about the quietest form of police brutality. This is a nonviolent form of police brutality, but it's a psychological version or a psychological tactic in the in the police brutality pipeline. Okay? So here's one thing that I I know, right? When you go to black neighborhoods and black communities, more urban black communities, not so much the suburban ones, but the urban ones, the ones who are around the hood, you know, the ghettos and things like that. One thing you see is an active police presence, right? You see an active police presence, even when they're not stopping or preventing or correcting anything from any crimes, they're just posted up in areas and they're sitting in their cars a lot of time. And one thing that they do is they have their lights on, not, not the flashing lights, but just the, when the car is sitting there, those blue lights are just on, right? In a lot of states, they have blue lights. I know there's some states in America where they don't use blue lights, but most states in America, they have blue lights on their car, right? And it's specifically when we want to talk about those blue lights. And I'm going to tell you how those blue lights are a subtle form of police brutality and harassment. Let's get into it, right? The cops are sitting there. They're in these black neighborhoods. And in the faint distance, you can always see some police lights somewhere in a black community, right? Always. If you don't see them, in some cities, they have those little boxes that sit up on telephone poles, right? Those boxes that sit up on telephone poles, it might be some type of uh, audio scanner. Uh, I think it's called a transducer where it can tell where gunshots are coming from. On those devices, they have a blue light on them. Why do they have that blue light? Because it signifies a police presence. This, a police presence. This device belongs to the police in this city, right? Some places they have cameras on telephone poles in different places. Those cameras also have blue lights attached to them that continuously run at night. Also, if you go into certain parking lots, they have parking lot cameras in the parking lot. Those also have blue lights on them. So what does that mean? Like, why am I, why am I saying that here? I just told you it was subtle form of police brutality, but let's get into the history real quick of why police have blue lights and when they started using blue lights. Let's look at it. Okay, motorbiscuit.com. Blue police lights are increasingly popular. Once upon a time, all police cars in the United States had flashing red lights. In 1948, the rotating red beacon came on the scene and began to replace the flashing lights. But in other parts of the world, police were already experimenting with blue lights. So where did it come from? Okay, legend has it that the blackouts of World War II led to the first blue police lights. Germany found police cars could use blue lights without drawing bombers' attention to their urban areas. World War II, Germany. It's interesting how they, they left Nazis out of that. They said World War II, they said Germany, but they failed to mention that the idea came from the Nazis. They left that out. It's not just Germany. It's a specific group that was running Germany at that time. Say that. The world got blue lights on police cars from the Nazis. Now let's get back into it. 
Over the decades, an increasing number of United States police forces began to add blue lights to their cars. They may have reasoned that a combination of red and blue lights made their cars visible during both the day and night. Blue lights are likely more visible at night, and until recently, many departments believed red lights were more visible during the day. According to TheOfficer.com, a recent study found that blue was the easiest emergency vehicle light color for motorists to notice both during the day and after dark. This may be the reason that an increasing number of police departments are actually phasing out the red lights. So, uh, wait, so well, emergency police lights were all, okay, I don't, I don't know what they're talking about right there. Okay, so you see that? These, these, these lights are tradition because they are so highly visible at nighttime, right? They are so highly visible at night. And this is very true. I don't know what made them ever think that red light was the most visible at day or night. Red light is actually the least visible. If y'all y'all been in the in the navy or whatever, at night on the ships, they use red lights in any space that can be viewed from the exterior of a ship. Red lights are what they show. Right? The reason is because the the wavelength of red light makes it so it you can't see it from as far out. You can see blue and green blue and green light are the lights that you can see from the furthest away in low visibility situations. Okay? So, you know, that that's just the science on that. Blue light you can see from further away than you can see red light. Okay? So the fact that they were talking that red light, okay, whatever. The Nazis gave y'all the game back in World War II. Now why do, why do I think it's important for us to discuss blue light? Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me get into some science real quick, real quick here. Because we're talking about circadian rhythms, the natural clock of things. Let's get into some science real quick. Okay. Visible light synchronizes the human biological clock in the supra, hold on, here we go. Suprachiasmatic nuclei of the hypothalamus to the solar 24 cycle, 24 hour cycle. Short wavelengths perceived as blue color are the strongest synchronizing agent for the circadian rhythm, circadian system that keeps most biological and physiological rhythms internally synchronized. Circadian rhythm is important for optimum function of organisms and circadian sleep-wake disruptions or chronic misalignment that may lead to psych uh, psychiatric and neurodegenerative illnesses. The beneficial effect on circadian synchronization, sleep quality, mood, and cognitive performance depends not only on the light spectral composition, but also on the timing of exposure and its intensity. Exposure to blue light during the day is important to suppress melatonin secretion, the hormone that is produced by the pineal gland and plays crucial role in circadian rhythm entrainment. While the exposure to blue is important for keeping organis organisms well-being, alertness, and cognitive performance during the day, chronic exposure to low-intensity blue light directly before bedtime may have serious implications on sleep quality, circadian phase, and cycle durations. This rises inevitably the need for solutions to improve, improve well-being, alertness, and cognitive performance in today's modern society where exposure to, exposure to blue light emanating devices is ever increasing. Now, sorry guys. Now, 
Here we go. There we go. How does blue light affect sleep? Circadian rhythms are finely tuned 24-hour cycles that help our body know when to carry out essential functions. Light is the most important factor in aligning circadian rhythms, and for much of human history, these rhythms were closely aligned with sunrise and sunset. With the advent of artificial light and electronics, people are being exposed to increasing amounts of light before bedtime. While all types of light can affect circadian rhythm, blue light has the largest impact. We get the most out of our exposure to blue light, or we get most of our exposure to blue light from the sun. Blue light stimulates part of the brain and makes us feel alert, elevating our body temperature and heart rate. During the day, blue light can improve performance and attention, tuning our circadian rhythm and setting us up for a better night's sleep after the sunset. Okay. Properly timed exposure to blue light can uh, treat several sleep disorders. Circadian rhythm disorders occurs when a person's circadian rhythms uh, aren't in alignment and with the environment. Light therapy and blue light in particular can help realign the body's rhythms and improve sleep. Okay, blue light suppresses the body's release of melatonin, a hormone that makes us drowsy. While this may be helpful during the day, it becomes helpful. It becomes unhelpful at night when we're trying to sleep. Being exposed to blue light in the evening can trick our brain into thinking it's still daytime, disrupting circadian rhythm and leaving us feeling alert instead of tired. What y'all think of that? Am I, I mean, listen, some might suggest that this is a reach. I don't think I'm reaching, guys. Mm-mm. I don't think I'm reaching at all. If it, I don't, there's there's a lot more sciencey type of stuff, and I'll just give you a brief breakdown of the other thing that's in your body, right? Now, there's there's what is called a There's, there's an item in your eyes, right? And it's called melanopsin. Melanopsin is in the eyes and is specifically tuned to be activated by blue light, right? When blue, when blue light hits, comes in the eye and activates the melanopsin, it tells your body, wake up. For a million years or millions of years or whatever, this has worked from when the sun came up, the sky got blue, blue light hit the lens, refracted, you know, came to the melanopsin and it told humans and it told other animals, get up. It's time to get up now. Nowadays, we have, we are constantly being bombarded with blue lights. The most intense of those are not coming from the phone. Because we have blue light filters we can put on our phones, right? The most intense of those blue lights that a lot of people in their communities are seeing come from those ridiculously bright LED lights that come flying down your street as they're chasing somebody. Or every time you step into a parking lot when it's dark outside, you see these blue lights bombarding you. Or when you're in your living room, winding down for the evening, and there's a cop car on your street somewhere with the blue lights on it, you're seeing this. 
This, to me, is a form of harassment because it's, it's I think they also used to do that in, in, in Nazi land where they would just keep it bright all night so people couldn't sleep. That, that, there's a similar thing there. When you have this blue light, first of all, like you heard me read, blue light keeps you up. There's been a study, and I talked about it when I did the audio podcast about this. Anytime, once you see blue light, it can add another 20 minutes to your awake time, right? So the overexposure of blue light will make it hard for you to sleep, right? And, and in my estimation, over-policing in black communities and over-exposure to these, black, these blue lights everywhere is, is part of the reason why we have some of these anxieties and we have a harder time sleeping and we get some of the least amount of sleep in of all people in this country, right? Let's look at the Sleep Foundation study. Insufficient sleep by race and ethnicity. After adjusting for age, insufficient sleep by race and ethnicity shows a clear differences with 46.3% of native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, 45.8% of black people, 40% of American uh, Indians and natives, 37% Hispanics, and 34, uh, 37% Asian, 34% Hispanic, 33% white report getting less than seven hours of sleep. Essentially, half of the black population, essentially half the black population in America is getting less than the healthy amount of sleep every night. Half. It's very likely much higher than that, honestly, because this information comes from like surveys and things like that. I'm sure they aren't surveying the people who live in the communities I'm talking about. If they were, I would, I would think that that number would be somewhere around 70%, honestly, of people getting less than seven hours. So when I was growing up, not many people that I know was sleeping that long. Seven hours is, is like great sleep. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all gotta, we, we have to watch out for these little tactics they use. I know some people might say, no, it's not, it has nothing to do with race. They use blue lights because of the visibility at night. Let's be clear. Nobody has ever had a problem seeing red lights in the distance from far away from a police car. Nobody has ever had a problem seeing those police lights at nighttime. Nobody has ever. I've never heard of somebody saying, oh, man, that cop car had red lights on it. I didn't even notice it. That has never happened. There was, there was as far as visibility goes, a, car, a, a, a police vehicle that is within your eyesight, you can see those red lights flashing. If it's within your line of sight, any, anywhere within the visible spectrum of your view, you can see those red lights. There was no reason to go blue. The people who manufacture those lights, y'all, y'all want me to believe that they don't know the hit. They don't know what blue light does to people. They know it makes everybody more alert. They know it induces anxiety from that alertness, and people who have a, an already a preconceived notion of what police are here to do. You think they don't know that? If blue light is already the most visible light at night, 
on the color spectrum, why do they need to be brighter? Why do police lights need to be brighter? They're already using a color that's highly visible at night. Listen, man, y'all, you know, that's, that's just me. Y'all make sure y'all subscribe to the channel, man. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you share, comment your thoughts in, in, in below. And we're going to get up out of here, man. Make sure you do some hit. You don't have to believe anything. Y'all saw me reading this, but you can go do your research. This is what I want you to research. Research circadian rhythm. Research melanopsin. It's M-E-L-A-N. Melanopsin. Melanopsin. Right? Research that. Research the rods in your eyes and how melanopsin uh, interacts with that. Research the history of police lights and police lights in, in America. On a world period, you know, do, do, do all the research. You don't have to just take my word for it. Go have at it. I'm just passing the info to y'all, man. Anyway, thanks again for watching. Peace out.